Hello, friends, freaks, nerds, and geeks, all those of you unabashedly burning in the ephemeral flames of existence right alongside me. I'm your host, Jay Van Veen, and you're listening to Why Did You Make Me Read This, your weekly comic book podcast. Marvel's First Family The first superhero team to have a comic after Marvel became Marvel. The Thing, Mr. Fantastic, Invisible Woman, The Human Torch, battling monsters and taking down supervillains in Manhattan, flying through the sky in their Fantasticar, intrepid adventurers exposed to cosmic rays that gave them bizarre powers they used to fight evil and protect the innocent. You gotta love them, right? Right? Honestly, the Fantastic Four were really the crew of heroes I never gave a shit about in the Marvel Universe. They always seemed too chaste and wholesome for my tastes, like they were something my grandparents would read. I was always put off by their personalities. Mr. Fantastic seemed devoid of personality, always neglecting his wife and friends to spend his time in the laboratory. Invisible Woman was just a bit insipid, putting up with way too much of her husband's bullshit. The Human Torch was this cocky douchebag that didn't realize what an idiot he was. And The Thing? Well, The Thing was alright in my book. Big, funny, ugly, tough. Yeah. Yeah, The Thing's good people. But for some reason, whenever I'd hear other people talk shit about the Fantastic Four, I'd stick up for them. Probably because I'm a Marvel guy and they're Marvel royalty and, I mean, you gotta back your team even when they have a player you don't like, right? Sports analogy! So if I don't like this gang of cosmic-powered wholesome heroes, just why the hell am I talking about them? Well, hell, a good story is a good story, right? I mean, we're still dealing with some Marvel OGs. It's still an adventure. There's still superpowers and high stakes and drama and fights and... Oh yeah, this one's got zombies. Ultimate Fantastic Four Crossover was written by Mark Miller, penciled by Greg Land, inked by Matt Ryan, and colored by Justin Ponsor, with help from Laura Martin. Letters by Chris Eliopoulos. Something we gotta know up top, good people. This ain't the mainstay Marvel Universe we're dealing with here today. This is not 616 territory. 616 being the designation for the mainstay Marvel Universe. Around the year 2000, Marvel decided they wanted to create a whole new sandbox for their creators to play in, but didn't want anything too unfamiliar. So they took all the major players of the Marvel Universe, the X-Men, the Avengers, Spider-Man, and, you guessed it, the Fantastic Four. And they effectively hit the reset button. All new versions of and stories involving the superheroes everybody already knew. But this didn't affect the regular Marvel Universe. It's an Elseworld take that existed right alongside the 616. Here, maybe this will make it easier for you to understand. I'll read the official copy, the only copy I could find from Marvel that's kind of their descriptor of the Marvel Universe. Quote, In the Ultimate Universe, familiar heroes and villains are rebooted for the contemporary reader. Defined by its edginess and explosive action, Ultimate Marvel has introduced new generations of fans to classic characters. End quote. 
So today's story is indeed a Marvel story. It is indeed a Fantastic Four story, but it is not the Fantastic Four. It is the ultimate Fantastic Four. And in 2015, there was a near-cataclysmic event that shattered the Ultimate Universe and ended up merging portions of that world with a regular Marvel 616 universe. And, and, and you know what? No, we don't need to dive headfirst into the depths of all this nerdiness. Let's just keep it simple. In this story, the Fantastic Four have time-traveled back millions of years into prehistory to stop a team of chrono-displaced mercenaries who are disrupting the space-time continuum, threatening to kill the biological forefather of all land-dwelling, air-breathing, sentient beings as it crawls out of the primordial ooze, thus attempting to hold known existence ransom for a ridiculous amount of its resources. Simple. Anyway, the Fantastic Four thwart the bandits' attempt and head home, heroes as they always are, But in the Ultimate Universe, the Fantastic Four are not grown adults with autonomy of action. They are, in fact, teenagers. They live in the science research facility known as the Baxter Building, under the watchful eye of Dr. Storm. This doctor is not only their mentor and teacher, he's also the human torch and the invisible woman's dad. Ostensibly, he's the paternalistic guardian to our team of heroes. But what he is right now is pissed off. He tells Reed... Reed Richards, that's Mr. Fantastic, that he's being reckless, that he's a scientist, not a superhero, and that they should have left this to the professional superheroes of their world. And he's right. He's right that Reed has been acting out of character recently. In this comic, the team, these young kids, have only recently received their powers, and they have had some adventures recently to boot, instilling in them all a love for superheroing. But what's more, recently... In panels interspliced through some of the preceding issues, we've seen Mr. Fantastic being contacted by someone out there in a different universe. And just exactly who is it that's trying to touch base from out there in the void through the advanced machinery Reed Richards has created? It's Reed Richards. Mr. Fantastic himself, but a different version. This one is a grown man with gray hair at his temples, kind of like I'm starting to get, who's married to the invisible woman in his timeline, and even has a few kids. And in this tale of two Reed Richards, what are they discussing? Well, adult Reed Richards has been sending over blueprints and helping young Reed Richards build a teleporting machine that will transport him across the interstitial space between the alternate universes and let the two versions of the same person meet face to face. Like a sitcom plot for sci-fi comic book nerds. Wonderful. Older Reed Richards implores younger Reed Richards to take the whole crew along. The more the merrier, right? But younger Reed Richards, presumably wary of the recent trouble he's been in with Dr. Storm, or maybe just wanting to hog the scientific glory all to himself, decides it's best to go solo and scope out this other dimension just by himself. So, young Reed Richards, that's young Mr. Fantastic, excited to join the elder version of himself, who needs some superhero help for some adventurous missions, takes the plunge, and teleports. And when he comes to the other side, there's no one there. The lights are all off, and everything he's looking at in this laboratory he just teleported to looks a bit neglected. So he makes his way out of the room and out of the building and onto the street, and he beholds a grim setting. The ruination of wrecked cars and mangled city structures, and worse, He sees piles of eviscerated corpses strewn about the city streets, some picked clean down to the bone. And from the dark emerge four recognizable figures, 
and as they get close, we see the faces of the thing, Mr. Fantastic, the Human Torch, and the Invisible Woman. But something's wrong. Their skin is ashen gray. Their eyes are glazed over with a dull white. The flesh on their face is hanging loose, exposing hideous rows of teeth that are blood red. And the corpse-like figure of the elder Reed Richards looks down at our young hero with a ghastly smile and says, Ever get the feeling you've been had? The next issue opens up with some exposition by way of narration, as we the readers are regaled with what made this alternate universe something out of a Sam Raimi movie. There was a massive flash in the sky and some mighty hero fell from the heavens and upon impact was buried into the streets of Manhattan. And as the local heroes gathered to investigate, what they saw was the distorted face of a superhero who carried the infection that had already felled countless realms. And this superhero wasted no time in biting, clawing, and maiming, thus spreading the nightmare infection to the heroes of this new universe he just entered. Within 24 hours, the infection had consumed almost the entire population of this planet. Well-known heroes like Wolverine, the Wasp, Rogue, and Hawkeye, now terrible hosts of this infection, using their pre-existing powers and newfound ravenous appetites to spread the disease and to consume the flesh of all those that they didn't turn. One superhero from an infected universe. That's all it took to finish an entire world, says the narrator over images of heroes transforming into monsters, consuming the world around them. And who is this narrator? Well, we turn the page to see the undead Fantastic Four standing in the dystopian streets of this elseworld Manhattan. The young, uninfected Reed Richards is as confused as he is terrified. What does this have to do with me? He asks. Why go through all the trouble just to lure me into a neighboring dimension? He hasn't a clue, has he? Taunts the zombie invisible woman. Zombie Mr. Fantastic uses his powers and stretches his arms out at the teen Reed Richards. We just ran out of food, says the undead Reed Richards. Young Mr. Fantastic wastes no time. He does the only sensible thing to do when you find yourself in a nightmare scenario such as this. He runs away uses his powers to stretch himself thin as can be, and sinks down through the holes in a nearby manhole cover. The dreadful four waste no time in going after him. The undead thing rips open the entire street, exposing the sewer where their prey just escaped to below, and the infected human torch ignites his body with flames and heads down, flying through the sewers after the young Reed Richards. And young Reed who's already made some headway into the sewer, notices the tunnel behind him starting to glow with the incandescent of the undead version of his friend, and decides to flee from the tight quarters below and head back to street level via another manhole above. He pops up right in the center of Times Square and looks up at the desolation of the world around him. And while he's understandably captivated by this terrifying nightmare scenario around him, he should have been looking behind him, as a web blast suddenly pins him down to the ground and we see the undead version of Spider-Man pop up, licking his chops, about how this one's still clean, still uninfected. Behind Spidey, we've seen the deadite version of Thor, Black Cat, Luke Cage, and dozens of others before they begin to descend upon their prey, all desperately hungry for this uninfected flesh. But suddenly, there's an explosion in the background. Is it a hero coming in the nick of time to spare Teen Reed Richards this horrific fate? Nope. It's the infected Incredible Hulk, and he's here to demand that he gets this fresh feast all to himself. As he tears through the crowd of undead superheroes, a semi-truck slams down from above, crushing the Hulk, 
the infected superheroes all look up in fear as a crowded L.A. highway's worth of cars come crashing down from the sky above. These monsters flee, some getting crushed by the volley of vehicles dropping down on them from above, and after the explosions stop and the debris clears, teen Reed Richards finds himself still alive, looking up at the purple-gloved hand of the man who just saved him. Come with me, says a voice, and we get a splash page of the villain Magneto, uninfected and offering salvation. Right now, I'm the only hope you have. Back in the regular Ultimate Universe, the remaining three of the Ultimate Fantastic Four are noticing that Reed's been missing for a minute. They realize this might be a serious situation and head into Reed's lab to see if he's holed up in there. They head into the empty lab and notice the strange new machine. What is this thing? asks the thing. I'm not sure, says the invisible woman, but it looks like some kind of teleporter. Back in the infected universe, Magneto has taken Reed to his hideout, a railway tunnel where Magneto and a few other human survivors are taking shelter, Magneto using his powers of magnetism to cover the entrance behind him with some scrap metal as they enter. Teen Reed Richards asks some questions as they enter. How long have you been living like this? How long ago did this all actually happen? Oh, around two days, I think. It's hard to remember, Magneto tells him. But I believe the first of the infected was three days ago. What? Reed responds. But Magneto doesn't have time to answer, as they've just come across the surviving group. There's a middle-aged man with his young teenage daughter, and there's a police officer, and... That's it. Presumably everybody else in New York is fucking dead. They start to talk, and Reed discloses that he's from a different dimension, having been tricked by the older, undead version of himself to come to this realm. Magneto freezes. Are you saying you've opened up a pathway from our world to yours? He asks with a bit of anxiety. And the magnitude of the situation immediately dawns upon our supposed super genius, Reed Richards. Oh my god, you're right. We have to stop them from using the bridge I opened up. Oh my dear Reed, responds Magneto. Don't you understand? Your world is already dead. Back in the Ultimate Universe, the remaining Fantastic Three are still standing around the teleporter as it kicks on. Something is coming back through. Reed? Is that you? asks Sue Storm, the invisible woman. The hideous faces of the infected Fantastic Four emerge from the teleporter, their hideous aspect made worse by bloody teeth ready to feast. Not exactly, says the infected Mr. Fantastic. As the undead human torch fires a volley of flame at the unsuspecting heroes, Invisible Woman is quick enough to create one of her force fields and surround them, staving off the inferno. The Fantastic Three, that is the regular uninfected version, all rush backwards out of the lab and seal the door shut behind them, narrowly escaping the bloodthirsty maws of their corrupted counterparts, and more so, containing the infection that could damn their whole world in a matter of days. Back in the undead dimension, Magneto, Reed Richards, and company are hatching plans. They have to make it to the teleporter and leave this world to the undead. So they're determining their route and going over the blueprints they have of the subway station. Where did they get these blueprints? These are fucking comic books. That's all the answer we need. Their plans are interrupted as Zombie Thor blasts his way in from above, 
Behind him, the undead horde of the once-were superheroes, all ready to feast. Magneto sends a subway train flying at the undead goons, and the group of survivors flees out of the tunnels and onto the street. But it's out of the frying pan and into the flaming fucking pile of gigantic horrible dog shit as they see the vast army of superhero zombies waiting for them outside. And here, dear listener, I reveal to you one of my many idiosyncrasies. I've had it since I was a kid. When I'm reading a comic and there's a page or two filled with various characters all posing and looking cool, I have to, beyond any ability to stop myself, go through each individual character and say their name out loud. It's like I have to prove to the comic gods I know all the names of all these characters before they let me continue reading. I mean, I don't actually think that. I'm not a completely insane person. Just a big old fucking weirdo. And a nerd. To boot. Moving right along. Well, things look grim, and this horrible host is poised for the kill when inexplicably they begin to scream about how they can't see. Magneto asks, Reed, is this another one of your powers? To which the Fantastic Three, back from the regular world, emerge, having teleported into this damn world to find their teammates and pose for this panel because, you know, superheroes love to pose in the funny books, while the invisible woman responds, Why do people always assume that Reed is the smart one? Can he make optic nerves invisible? The thing begins to clobber some zombies while the human torch takes to the skies and starts setting the undead on fire, creating a path for the good guys to run through with his flames. The Fantastic Four, Magneto, and the survivors run full tilt towards the building containing the teleporter. The thing taking a minute to knock Zombie Hulk the fuck out, and they've made it. They're back to the teleporter and ready to transport away from this hell and back to their own home world. They all gather on top of the teleporter, except Magneto, who looks rather grim. They yell for him to get on, but he refuses. Somebody has to stay and destroy the machine, or they'll find a way to follow us through, Magneto says. And they all protest, telling him they'll figure something else out, until Mindy, that is the young teenage girl, simply says, He's right. It's the only way. Magneto, calm in his resolve, musters a smile and waves goodbye. And as the group teleports away and the zombies emerge, he creates a big enough explosion to level the building he's in and destroy the teleporter. And as for the Fantastic Four and the group of survivors that lived through this waking fucking nightmare reality of the last three days, they all land safe and sound back home in the Ultimate Universe. So before I go, I need to address a few things about the creators of this comic book. The artist, Greg Land, is a controversial figure in the world of comic books, to say the least. He's been accused of plagiarism by means of tracing. People have said that some of his characters in the books, uh, more pertinently some of the positioning they're in, are all traced from pre-existing comics. And if that's true, that is pretty damning information. There's really no defense from stealing from your colleagues. Land himself has admitted that he draws, no pun intended, inspiration from outside content, sometimes even just straight-up tracing, using models and movie actors as references for his characters, going as far sometimes even as to use porn stars engaged in their particular line of work as reference material. He's been criticized for over-sexualizing women, which you can understand if he's using porn actresses' uh, mid-feature, as the models for the women in his comics, and making them all look like the buxom bombshell stereotype. 
and more so drawing teenage characters like full-grown women. And you can see that fully on display in this comic book here. And some of the, the pages here, Invisible Woman, who's supposed to be in her late teens, looks like she's a 30-year-old woman. But in my opinion, the oddest thing he does is make characters smile. These giant, white, Colgate advertisement-looking smiles at completely inappropriate times. Like in this story, Mindy, the young teenage survivor in the zombie world. She has this massive smile on her face, like she's chuffed enough to be at her surprise birthday party or something. All while being smack dab in the dangerous hell of her zombie existence. It's bizarre. But in the spirit of honesty, I don't mind all of Greg Land's work. I think a lot of his superheroes look cool, and that his art has this oddly appealing quality to me. But hey, those criticisms are valid, and I understand. I'm not trying to be an apologist for the man, and I know a lot of people out there in the comic books community would fucking rake me over the coals for being a, a person that says that maybe his work isn't actually that bad. Problematic, yes, but occasionally also pretty good. As for the author, Mark Miller, he's also a man that's fallen a bit out of favor in the comic book world. He's created some pretty well-known comics, you know, Kick-Ass and Wanted and the Civil War story arc in Marvel but he often plays things for shock value, and upon revisiting a lot of his work, it really doesn't stand the test of time. A lot of his dialogue is hard to stomach, even in the story I just covered. And although a lot of the current comics world today finds him to be a bit of a bro, I suppose for lack of a better word, I'll say one thing you can't take away from the guy. He has some genuinely great ideas. Crossover is a three-issue story arc in a run that ran 100 issues. And it was so popular, this story arc, that it created a spin-off series that was arguably even more popular than this series from which it emanated. Marvel Zombies picks up right where this story left off, meaning with Magneto back in the realm of the undead heroes, and it had like a dozen sequel comics that all sold really well with crossovers with different intellectual properties, all from this short story arc. And that's why I covered this story. Artist issues and iffy dialogue aside, it's a super fucking cool idea. I mean, it's a straight-up terrifying and captivating idea, and it could have run double the issue amount that it did, so make of that what you will. The two main creators of this comic book have their issues and problems 100%. But at the end of the day, this story is heroes meets horror with high stakes, and it's just the kind of content that makes these funny books so much damn fun to read. Why Did You Make Me Read This? A comic book podcast was created, recorded, and edited by me, Jay Van V. Email me any and all questions or comments at whydidyoumakemereadthis at gmail.com or head on over to Twitter and follow me at whydidyoucomics. Music for the podcast was created by Chris Lidstone. An additional awesomeness brought to you by my friends and you, the listener. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.